Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. You're listening to Text Message with me, Nate Langson. And I'm Ian Morris. And we start with the unavoidable topic that is uh, Brexit. Now, it is a very ugly word, isn't it, Brexit? Well, I've been trying to work out what the tech equivalent will be for this conversation. and Texit? Texit, yeah. (laughs) Texit. We're going to keep this very much on the topic of tech. Basically, to answer the question, a few days after the referendum, where is British technology? Where is... What is the state of the UK's tech scene? And we're going to start by looking at a question that I saw mentioned on CNET, which is that the term... What is the EU began trending on Google in the UK, but crucially, after the vote? After the vote. That yes. seems like the kind of question, Ian, that one would ask before the vote. Well, you'd hope, wouldn't you? And this is, uh, you know, this has been a huge problem for me. I, 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 you know, we won't talk politics, but I don't think it's much of a secret that, um, you know, I, well, certainly if you follow me on Twitter, you will not be unaware of the fact that I feel very strongly we should have stayed in Europe. Um but um, uh, what worries me, and I, and I, you know, I've I've been thinking quite a bit about this because, obviously, it's it's a complex problem. You know what? You know what does the European Union offer us? And I think with tech, sometimes, and I think I, I this is something I encounter quite a lot when I'm looking for information about something. Sometimes knowing what the right question to ask is is actually incredibly difficult and as almost as hard as the answer itself. So, if you don't know what you're looking for then it can be fairly difficult to get well informed about it can't it you know and that's certainly proven to be the case yeah having said that i think that maybe people didn't even bother to look into it beforehand and only started to realize afterwards after we'd left and again you know this is something about voters sort of never believing that their side is going to necessarily win isn't it and there's obviously a whole psychology there but um people were just sort of caught on the hop, weren't they? They were like, oh, I thought we wouldn't win. And now we have. And now I don't know what that means. Uh, To Google. And obviously then Google was able to provide some answers for them. This is true. I mean, it's it's interesting that... In the this in this current era of technology, where we we have incredibly powerful computers in our pockets, on our desks, on our sofas, everywhere we go, we've never had more access to information. We've never been closer to facts than than we are now, and yet still we're in this problem where, even with search engines as powerful as Google, as Bing, as other. Um, Lycos, <laughs> we've uh, dogpile. We've <laughs> we are Alta Vista. We have we we still are not able necessarily to to uh, to get the answers because of the questions that we ask, and we have autocomplete. And it makes me wonder. And maybe this is one for our friends across the pond or for other democracies around the world. Whether we should be putting more emphasis on when it comes to autocomplete, autocompleting smart questions based on what you've asked before, based around political themes or things that are in the current sort of mind of of society at large. You know what, actually, 
that you've raised a really interesting point there because I, I'm, I'm reminded of, and I know it's very human generated, but Wikipedia and the whole citation needed thing, it would be great if if Google was able to sort of answer questions but give them a you know a rating of truthfulness somehow. I don't know how you would do that. I mean, that's that's one for the mega minds at Google to work out, isn't it? But the idea that you could perhaps help people discover truth online is, I think, going to be an increasing problem for society because you cannot just... I mean, this is this whole Brexit thing has proven that. You can't take what people say as necessarily truthful. It, it doesn't work like that. So, um, yeah, there you go. Well, Tech, you're listening to, help to journalists, and, journalists and politicians, both, who, both of which rank fairly low on the scale of trust in the public eye, according to... I mean, that, that's alarming. I, I mean, what, you know, what are we doing if people don't trust us? It's, it, it, the whole point of journalism is supposed to be to give people a way to access the truth. And I mean, I know that, unfortunately, that, that you know, politics and ownership and money come in between that. But even so, I, I don't know any journalists who got into this job to mislead people. You know, we're spoke that's the only thing that I think about when I'm writing something. And do you remember when we first started at CNET, I remember Mary said to us, um, Mary Loshkin said, um, you know, look, someone's going to spend money based on what you say. Um, and that's what you need to remember when you're writing a review. And that's probably some of the best advice I've ever been given. It's great uh, because you know, it applies to all journalism it, at large. Yeah, absolutely. So, someone is going to make a decision based on the things that you say. And, you know, if you can live with yourself taking someone, you know, for a ride, well, then perhaps journalism isn't the right career for you. Well, it's an interesting one to see if we see any difference when it comes to the US presidential election later this year, because this seems like the kind of lesson that maybe with some scrambling to create a a technological answer to that we could maybe put some better information in the hands of people as they're writing their questions in order to get facts out to them better. But let's move on. We can't talk about tech uh, without talking about companies, and we can't talk about companies in something like a unprecedented referendum without talking about money. So with my Bloomberg hat ever so (laughs) slightly on here, just a quick recap of what happened to some British companies after the referendum result was announced. Um, some note, I, I've noted these from the register that did a nice roundup of some of these figures. BT down 8%, Vodafone 4%. And before I continue, obviously these numbers, as with all figures like this, are a snapshot in time and they change wildly, rapidly, and will by this time tomorrow be different. But this is, this is where we were at on Friday. BT8 down, Vodafone 4 down, Microfocus, their company in Berkshire, were down 4, Marlow based infrastructure business, uh, Softcat, which, by the way, Ian, only just occurred to me, Softcat, lovely name. Sadly, <laughs> that's a good name, isn't it? They were down 13% when this was written. Software firm Sage, they do accounting stuff, down 2%, not, not too dramatic there. I mean, there are, there are others we could name here. Imagination Tech, they do all the graphic stuff that goes inside uh, Apple's products and yeah, others. So fast things. Are. Yeah, exactly. But but the trend is all the same, down. Some worse than others, massively in, in flux. However, one I did want to mention here, Arm. Now, Arm is the company based in Cambridge whose designs for chips are almost exclusively used in smartphones across the board. Apple's phone used to be powered by them. They're still compatible with them. They're still based on similar designs there. Obviously, all the Samsungs, LGs, all, these, all of these things are all powered by chips. Or rather, they're all... They all have chips that were designed by ARM in them. 
based in Cambridge. Now, their stock went up 7%, or at least it went up as much as 7% at one point in the day. And there's a really interesting reason as to why here. And apparently, it's because about 95% of arms sales are actually conducted in dollars, which are now, thanks to the pound being as low as it's been since the day I was born (laughs) in the early 1980s, is now very much preferable to the pound. So arms shareholders basically are seeing this as our stock is worth more money now. But they're one of the few that seem to be in this position right now. Uh, Unlike, let's say... I wanted to pick another company out. eBay, not a British company, but the UK and Germany are, they account for something like 30% or something of sales that go through eBay. So they they went down like 8%, I think, or something on Friday, which outpaced most of the rest of the US market, uh, connected to Brexit, that is, because um, it, it was just so exposed, as the term goes, to to the UK. So it's it's that's an example of a, of a company that is being affected across the pond by something that's that's happening here in a, in a, for a, for a specific reason, um, and that's to do with sales and commerce. Um, so it's interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I, I like I've uh, you know I've been thinking a lot about this, and obviously a big criticism is that sometimes people don't understand the implications but of course it's you know econ- economics is incredibly complicated isn't it and there will always be for every downside there is always an upside so you know as as despondent as i feel about you know leaving the eu i sort of understand that eventually things will sort of stabilize again it's just what damage it does our exports could be more attractive because they will cost people less to buy them from us now because yes. our pound is worth so much less than yes, it was. And, uh, you know, we could see a surge in manufacturing. The The downside is that there won't be anyone coming into the country to do the jobs because, you know, ultimately it, it, that some things require an amount of specialism that we perhaps don't have. Well, one of the other things that is connected to this, and this came out in a report Gartner, the research body made, is that um, it is basically how this affects consumer spending and you know we're a consumer show we, we try and keep the average the guy in the street the consumer in the street in mind when we talk about most of the stories we talk about and gartner has suggested this could wipe about 4.6 billion well it says dollars in the report but you know even 4.6 billion dollars still is a lot in pounds off tech shopping here and you know because of the the difference in the currency so the volatility rather with the currency could force us vendors for example to hike up their prices you know the pound is worth less to them now uh, worth less not worthless so far so it could be that you know they have to put their prices up in the uk in order for when those pounds are converted back into their local currency they don't lose out as a result of the pound being so much weaker and we see an example of this already where this is basically one of the reasons is why if you if you are in the u.s and you buy i don't know let's say an apple tv you might pay 99 dollars for it and 99 dollars when converted into pounds it was about sort of 65 quid whereas you come here you still pay about 99 pounds which when you convert it back to dollars is over hundred dollars, and the reason being that they'll say it's the cost of business and tax and yada yada yada. I think some companies will be able to sort of eat that uh, price difference. I mean, Apple particularly can absorb things like that because it makes a decent amount of profit on most of the products it makes. So for them, it's not so much of a problem. Um, obviously, for others, it, where there's a, a thin margin, I mean, it it could have a massive impact on certain segments of savings if we're talking about smartphones there are probably smartphones that are released in this country that have a you know almost zero margin um 
uh, obviously not quite. I mean, say, take for example the OnePlus. You know, that is not a phone where there is a huge amount of markup on it. Um, so that yeah, that's an interesting thing. But what will that? What will happen to that? The prices for those things will have to go up, making them less competitive against Apple, perhaps. So that's an interesting. One of my questions that I don't have an answer for yet, you know, it's difficult when it comes to physical products because you're factoring in so many things like shipping and packaging and marketing and all this sort of stuff. But we've seen app store pricing and music streaming and all these sorts of digital products. We've seen those sorts of prices fluctuate more readily. And so one of the warning signs that I've got ready to go off is when we start seeing this come to app stores, you know, where at the moment and one song that's on itunes costs 99p you could totally see that saying well because of brexit that's going to be 109 now it's gonna be a one pound and nine pence or you could see it with the, the the cheapest price of an app on the app store and itunes is 79p you could see that going to 89p or 99p to again just to make sure that overseas developers are not being are not seeing their earnings drop as a result of something that's outside of Apple's control. The problem is, though, that if the population, you know, suffers financially, then how are they going to pay the extra money? I mean, that, that that's an issue. And I would imagine that in sort of other markets in Europe where perhaps the general amount of consumer spending isn't quite so high, they must have to reduce the price to compensate. You, you see it um, with like video games, don't you? So um, you can go online and you can buy a CD key for a game, and they're cheaper than the you know the price of the game would be normally because they've been obtained from markets like Russia and places like that, where obviously they just cannot sell them at the same price as uh, say the UK. So it, it'll be interesting to see you know that that whole dynamic is a completely different thing again, isn't it? Let's move on. Let's move into the realm of telecommunications. Now, we've seen, uh, we mentioned BT stock, but realistically, what we want to talk about here is, is how this affects the consumer. So I was looking around at what uh, telcos and mobile networks have been talking about, things like roaming. One of the downsides that we could see outside of the EU is that the deals struck to allow for uh, extremely cheap or eventually completely uh, fee-free roaming for European citizens will not affect the UK. Um, and that would just mean that already mobile networks are now having to consider, well, if the rest of the 27 nations of the EU are going to have one set of fees that their customers can expect, you know, that's not going to translate to the UK. And that also, in an example of how Brexit affects people overseas as well, it could also affect customers coming in from abroad who see one set of fees potentially for roaming on their phone for data or calls in Europe and another set of fees for being in the UK. And one company that has come out and said it's going to offer unlimited roaming for Europe is T-Mobile in the US. And the annoying thing for T-Mobile customers is they're going to have to think, well, am I going to Europe or am I going to the UK? Because if I'm in Europe, my data will not cost me any more as part of this uh, package that T-Mobile is is saying it's bringing out. But if they come to the UK, then you can expect to pay your extortionate roaming fees or whatever. And I think that's a real shame, but it's just it's it's one of those examples of where it's not it's not just affecting us in Britain. It's it's affecting now a company like T-Mobile and, and what it's going to communicate to its customers in the US, in this example at least, that, um, you know, at least after we actually leave the EU, these sorts of deals are going to be... Uh, 
they're not going to apply to you if you're coming to visit us here in the UK. And that seems a bit odd to me. I have to say, I, I'm 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 surprised by that because I don't feel like roaming is one of those things. It doesn't really cost anything, does it? I mean, we've been over this before, but. Um, you know that what you're talking about is data transit so it really boils down to doing a deal so if they can't do a deal with post exit uk i i sort of wonder why that is on the other hand i can see that you know when we aren't in europe anymore um uh, why would the why would our mobile phone companies offer the eu standard roaming which is going to in the next couple of years going to be there'll be no roaming charges so i'm worried about that i think that's going to have an impact on uh, us although we may sort of squeak through because i guess that providers are not going to want to go back on dropping prices down are they because it looks extremely bad and it makes them look like they're price gouging and stuff like that so well it's it's bad for everybody (laughs) and so far from what we've heard from the telcos is that it that they they want to maintain the same deals that were being struck for europe in a in a post europe britain that's so so we could still see this take place and happen because it's in everybody's interest but it's just one of those very real world very consumer examples of how brexit will affect now and 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 really and the reason we're saying why now with this because it's still speculative is because the companies are talking publicly about how they're thinking on this this is just an example of how this could affect you on a day-to-day basis particularly if you travel a lot and i thought that was worth noting for sure yeah well we're going to end our brexit coverage there you can expect we're going to return to this over the coming weeks and months as the effect on the tech industry in the uk becomes clear any questions you have any comments you have on the state of things podcast at natelangson.com please let us know get in touch we want to hear from you we are going to get into a couple of light stories for the second part of the show and i do mean light they're going to be fun we're going to be talking about them regardless of the doom and gloom that is permeating the rest of the conversation and indeed society and and things but first we're going to check in with tom Merritt over the pond because even he's been talking about europe this week but for a different reason perhaps tom thanks nate this week we had a rousing discussion on whether self-driving cars should protect the passengers at all costs or act to protect the most people in total kind of a variation on the trolley problem we also discussed europe's proposed resolution to grant robots electronic personhood in order to help workers and potential victims of damage a lot of insurance being talked about there and richard gunther explained the ins and outs of apple's home kit and how it helps reduce but not eliminate the home automation confusion all that and more dailytechnewsshow.com back to you nate thank you tom Before we get to our last couple of stories, just wanted to nod to an email here that we've had from Stephen. Now, Stephen wrote in to talk about ad blockers, and he says, Hello, all. Hello, Stephen. (laughs) Uh, I truly enjoy your program. I wanted to echo the concern regarding network providers acting as intermediaries between information you've requested and what is given. So this is where we're talking about the deep packet inspection stuff last week uh, that 3 was implementing and how a company would have to look at that data to determine what they needed to block 
in terms of content. Stephen continues, I'd agree with Nate that users should be free to use ad blockers and providers could withhold service. The web didn't start ads as ad supported. It has and still functions in a fashion where one node requests information, the server can ignore or choose to provide information, including ads, and the browser chooses how to render the information provided. If you've avoided ad blockers, went to a site with ads and then decided the trade wasn't worth it, you've already paid with your eyeballs and it puts the onus on the user to seek and weigh these things through all their browsing. If you use a blocker, request a site and the site doesn't respond, then no one gets a free ride. There's no shame in the user deciding an entire class of behaviour is something with which they don't want to engage and use technology to avoid it. People aren't obligated to go around judging the ad quality of every single site they visit and try and remember where they do or do not want to go. Stephen continues, I'm sanguine about the challenges that face the systems of great creativity and content built upon an ad-supported model. The web was good before that existed. It got richer and diverse when it was introduced. Much of that has grown into a Vegas-style barrage of ads that is as, that is an unfair cognitive load on the average user. That's a lovely way of putting it, an unfair cognitive load on the average user. It may be useful to offer something like three service solely as an opt-in service, as some users may be unable to opt obtain the same results themselves but as a common carrier they needn't know what is being transferred nor have a say in it if you're paying for its transfer Stephen, good points very well considered i think there um i do like the the idea of uh of ads being considered uh, a cognitive load it's too much for people to think about and so it may be useful for somebody else to filter that out for you but it's very true. They they are, and I think that's I think that's one of the many issues that needs to be considered with advertising, isn't it? It's uh, it, it it's taking mind space, and it's uh, uh you know, and it's it's visual distraction. Lots of things about it are unfair. Podcast at natelangston.com. That's where you can send your emails for next week. We've got a bit of a backlog, and we are getting through them. So we'll try and do one or two a week for the next week or two, and uh, hopefully get some more in. Now let's get back to some news. Gordon Ramsay, the chef, is releasing a mobile game. Um, I am zero excited. I'm not. We, I'm not massively. You know what's ex- weird? Yes. I'll tell you what's weird. Here's what's weird. Neither am I. <laughs> Yet it's ended up in our running order. I think because it was a light-hearted story to pepper, if you will, the the lineup here. I like. I don't mind Gordon Ramsay. I think. I think. Um. You know, for for some of his arguable faults, I think he's actually uh, a pretty. Uh, he's a great chef. He's a he's he's an inspiration, actually. I mean, I think one of the things that you hear about said about him is that his his uh, his course and um, and uh, can appear difficult on TV, but actually he's a he's a good motivator of people. But I don't think this app has a lot to do with that. I think it's probably just well, that it seems to have some swearing. Well, yes, there is swearing in it. Um, apparently, it's called Gordon Ramsay Dash. Um, I'm guessing because you would put a dash of something in food. I don't know. Anyway, um, it's made by Glue Mobile, the company that makes all the child robbing games for <laughs> what, mobile they steal devices. children? No, they uh, they allow children to rob money from their parents' credit cards accounts. Even Gordon Ramsay, in an article I read on Engadget, said that uh, his daughter was playing the game and racking up bills on it. But he said something like, uh, I didn't realize how much Holly spent on it already. Thankfully, she's using her mother's credit card. <laughs> so no, 
you know, sort of can't get away that this is a freemium game. You build restaurants and cook food and pay a load of micropayments for a bunch of bollocks. Do you know but- what, though? I, I find with micropayments or games that need them that it actually sort of ruins the game. I think that... Because Mate, it's, it's ruined the industry. Well, it has, but I mean, but aside from that, one of the, I think, when you work towards something like a game, the whole reward of a game is, you know, learning how to play it, getting better at it, you know, experiencing that. That's where the fun is. If you can sort of walk into a game and just buy a thousand of everything by, you know, putting a hundred quid on it, then there's not really any fun in that. And I, I, I on the occasions, and they are very rare when I've done a sort of micropayment, I did it with Fallout Shelter, and I didn't find it at all rewarding. I would rather sit there and play by hand and, you know, experience the game. So, yeah, you know, I, 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 I'm probably one of those people that sort of does quite well out of those games because I'm actually happy to just sort of slowly play them. Probably. They're very popular with children, uh, these micropayment things. It's been a problem. I mean, they... You know, is it Ofcom, I think, or Advertising Standards Authority in Britain actually produced a white paper a couple of years ago to outline the rules that game developers should follow in order to make sure that they weren't basically conning children uh, and, you know, certain guidelines because it got to be such a problem. And something like 98% of all money made by app stores or rather this one that number was android all come from in-app payments only about two or three percent is generated from pay to download the numbers are slightly different on apple but it's still over 90 percent from in-app payments and the weird thing is i remember when in-app payments were introduced and they seemed like a decent idea at the time it was you know you buy an app and maybe you want something extra you know you pay 79p for angry birds and then in the game you could pay another 79p for that golden eagle or mighty eagle whatever it was called and the industry somewhere just went mental with this (laughs) stuff and suddenly just raced to the bottom everything free all games geared around just money, 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 pay, 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 pay. At least back in the day when you and I growing up, in, if we wanted to cheat at a game, I had to go out and buy a magazine and put the codes in. Yeah. Whereas now it's just that is just built right in. This isn't this talking about this game wasn't an excuse to get on our soapboxes here and talk about micropayments. But it just makes me wonder how much how much society or how much how much, you know, gamers at large are prepared to pay because all these games are basically the same. The reason they're able to churn out so many of the things is that they're all basically absolutely. exactly I mean, that's, the same. And that's absolutely right. I, I played, um, I, I, I played quite a lot of The Simpsons tapped out, and then I got, uh, I can't remember what it was, the Family Guy one. I was like, but this is the same game. And then I played another one that wasn't related to either of those things. I was like, but this is the same game, and on and on and on. And and, and even Fallout is kind of the same game. It's how it goes, mate. Yeah. How it goes. They're all basically the same. But if you want to do it with some swearing in it and Gordon Ramsay on your screen telling you that your restaurant's rubbish, then Gordon Ramsay Dash, I think, is out on the 30th. To finish up today, just a quick note on something we have talked about before. Adele, the singer, her most recent album, 25, very enthusiastic and inspirational title there, uh, fi- finally coming to streaming services it's on apple music and things um, which goes to show that even the most powerful musicians in the world can relent if either a uh given an advertising deal <coughs> taylor swift or b just gives paid for sales the first run 
on physical I mean, media. But I'm a paying customer if I'm a streamer. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying because obviously one of the arguments that Taylor Swift and Adele both had with Spotify is that there is no option to go to not be on the free service, is there? You have to be, if you're... If you're streaming on Spotify, you have to be on both free and paid. And that's the problem. Or at least that's what they say the problem is. I mean, whether that's true or not, I I have no expertise. But, um, yeah, I think it's an interesting argument. So I I can see why they'd say it. Well, she's one of the biggest musicians in the UK. Uh, One of the most notable female musicians in the world, I think. And And also, um, this is interesting timing, isn't it? Because she's just played Glastonbury. So do you think that could be related? She think, she's thinking she's going to get, you know, new audience at Glastonbury. People who, who on Facebook have said, oh, I didn't used to like Adele, but I saw her at Glastonbury and she was amazing. Um, you know, perhaps she's thinking, well, this is going to be a whole new streaming audience for me. And that's why she's done it. That's really very possible. That's really possible. I yeah. hadn't thought about that, but yeah. But we thought we'd note that because it's just, it's interesting. We see these fluctuations in, in the music industry and, and artists withholding their music. But in in time, for whatever reason... They they always seem to relent, and I think it's that kind of not not that whole bargain basement idea of well it, it is it is that isn't it it's the the album's had its run now it's not selling anymore so at that point you might as well hoover up some extra streaming revenue I, it's I can't fault Adele and Taylor Swift for business acumen I think it's extremely smart I agree I don't think it's the only way to do it I don't think that streaming necessarily hurts album sales. I mean, maybe it does, but I think that I wouldn't buy Adele's album. I would maybe stream it under certain circumstances. For example, my kids probably quite like some of her songs. Um, so for me, it's not really in the equation to buy the album, but I would happily give her some of my streaming sense. Indeed. Pence, probably. Not anymore, mate. That's it. We've, it the, the, the pence is devalued to the point of worthlessness. We're having to trade in uh, dollars and sense well let us know any of your thoughts from this week's show for next week's show podcast at natelangson.com or let us know at text message pod on twitter or obviously you can find at ian and i uh, rather you can find ian and i at ian morris 78 or at nate langson thanks for being with us let us know any questions for next week and until then see you in one week where hopefully the rainbows will still come out the birds will sing and the App Store won't have had a price hike. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.